So here's a question for you. What image do you imagine when you think of the word flourish? To flourish makes me think of something beautiful, maybe a flower that's growing and it has everything it needs to grow and its beauty can't be contained or limited because it's so healthy, it's flourishing. All right, so now imagine, if you will, that the year 2020 was a flower. What would that flower look like? Is it the same picture? Is it flourishing or maybe is that flower struggling? Some of its leaves are falling off. The petals are built, wilted. All right, last thing. Um, imagine yourself right now in this time. Do you look more like the flourishing flower or the 2020 flower? Now, I know it's kind of a weird exercise, and I'm guessing that most of us saw ourselves more like the struggling flower than the flourishing one because 2020 has been such a difficult year for all of us. All right, one last word I want you to imagine for me, and that is the word kingdom. What image comes to mind when you think of the word kingdom? Is it a castle or a throne, a king with a crown on? Are there walls surrounding that kingdom? I wanted to start by using our imagination because often that's what Jesus did when he was teaching. He asked his listeners to imagine something different. Imagine a world that is different. And when Jesus started teaching in the beginning of his ministry, he needed his, his students and his disciples to reimagine what they knew about their current lives. And I think we might also need to stop and reimagine our lives too. In the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus' baptism and then his temptation in the wilderness, he goes and he uh, recruits four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, to follow him. And then he begins to teach. And Matthew chapter 5 records probably Jesus' most well-known teaching, which is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now this is the beginning, what everybody was waiting to hear. Imagine yourself being there, sitting at Jesus' feet. As Jesus begins to teach, he doesn't teach what you expect. In fact, what he teaches is surprising. It's confusing. It's not what you expected at all. He spends a lot of time talking about this new kingdom, this new way of living in, in the kingdom, and you can't really imagine living this way because it doesn't seem like a way to win, to succeed, to flourish. And yet, you're still drawn to this man and his teaching about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 7 records what people did after listening to Jesus' teaching in the sermon. It says in verse 28, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. They thought, this guy is different. His teachings are different. In fact, his teachings are so different and so inspiring that they've caused people for the last 2,000 years to live radically different lives than the culture influences them to live. Instead, they choose to live their lives in the kingdom of God. And that's why we're choosing to spend eight weeks in this new teaching series, Your Kingdom Come. We're looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And I think that N.T. Wright, the, uh, the pastor and writer, um, New Testament scholar, writes this about the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe this is what our goal is for this whole series. He says the sermon isn't just about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. We want to meet our loving Jesus and learn how to reflect that love ourselves to the world that needs it so badly. Last week, several of our people at Everyday Church gathered together to walk through our neighborhood and to pray for the injustice in our community. We prayed for policing and education, housing, food insecurity, and physical and mental health access. Our world and our community is not the vision for shalom and flourishing that Jesus prays for in his prayer when he says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as we look at this teaching of Jesus, we don't look at it as a list of requirements, but more as a description of the lives of those who follow Jesus, not just our lives individually, but communally. And we should receive this teaching the same way the first listeners would have received it, as an invitation to follow this loving and dying Jesus. So let's begin by looking at Matthew chapter 5. It starts out saying, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. As you read through these first verses, it's easy to just pass by them and think, it's just setting the stage a bit saying, you know, this is where Jesus started teaching. However, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is making a very deliberate point here. He is a Jew, and he's writing to other Jews. And for these listeners, they would have seen the point that Matthew is making very clearly, that he is drawing a comparison to another prophet, teacher, leader, Moses, who also went up the mountain and came down teaching God's people how they were to live. And so Matthew here is comparing this new teacher who doesn't just replace Moses, but instead he fulfills Moses in his teaching. Scott McKnight writes, From the get-go, the Sermon on the Mount, we are ushered into the gospel reality that Israel's vision was not has now come to its completion in Jesus' vision. And this is why the context of the sermon is so important. Matthew is setting the stage for Jesus to give his disciples this new way of life, the kingdom way of life, which is in contrast to the world's vision of power and empire. And so Jesus begins the sermon with this shocking idea of how different his kingdom works, where all the wrong people, as the world would see it, actually are the people that are elevated in God's kingdom. So here at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus gives his vision of a way of being in the world that will result in flourishing, a framework for understanding Jesus' own way of being in the world. And so as I read it, I'm going to read Jonathan T. Pennington's translation from his book, The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing. Now, it might sound different than what you're used to. Most translations of these verses use the word blessed or blessed. But uh, the Greek, the original Greek word is is a tricky word to translate. It doesn't completely mean happy, although sometimes it gets translated that way. And that's why Pennington, who's a, a New Testament scholar and translator, uses the word flourishing because it ties 
uh, this word back to the whole concept that we see throughout Scripture, beginning in Genesis and throughout the New Testament, this concept of flourishing or wholeness or shalom. And the question that the Sermon on the Mount is asking is, how do we experience true human flourishing? So let's read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. Flourishing are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing are the mourners, because they will be comforted. Flourishing are the humble, because they will inherit the world. Flourishing are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness, because they will be satisfied. Flourishing are the merciful, because they will be given mercy. Flourishing are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Flourishing are the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. Flourishing are the ones persecuted on account of righteousness, because, of the, king, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Flourishing are you, whenever people revile and slander and speak all kinds of evil things against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your, war, your reward is great in heaven. Now notice, this isn't a list of moral behaviors. It's instead a new image of who the people of God are, the way they live, and the way Jesus lives. And it really is in stark contrast to this Jewish tradition and lots of teaching that would give lots of lists of people who were blessed or flourishing. And in the past, these Jewish lists looked a lot like our lists of those people that we might say are hashtag blessed on Instagram, right? Those are the ones with the good families. They look great in pictures, um, people that have lots of friends, they go to parties, and they have, you know, they're super successful. People look up to them. But the new list that Jesus gives shows that the person who is blessed or enjoys God's favor is one who does so regardless of that person's status, or successes. Let me say that again. This new list that Jesus gives shows that the person that is blessed or enjoys God's favor does so regardless of that person's status or successes. Let's look at the first blessed person. It says that the person is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. I want to read Scott McKnight's description of who the poor in spirit refer to. He says it describes an economically impoverished or oppressed person who not only recognizes her or his need, but also trusts in God. This sort of person thus comprehends that he or she must be faithful in the midst of oppression and also form solidarity with other oppressed people. The poor in spirit love God enough to trust God, to love the self, and love others enough to form alliances of hope, compassion, and justice. Now I'm going to stop here for a moment and just speak from my own experience growing up in the white evangelical church in America. When I read that description of who the poor in spirit were that Scott McKnight describes, that is not a group of people that I was taught in the church to elevate. 
to look to as honored in the church or to learn from and strive to be like. The poor, instead, were not to be learned from, they were to be fixed, fixed of their ways of being poor. And the systems of injustice that contributed to their poverty was never discussed, nor justice worked to alleviate their undue burden. And I wish I could say that my experience is unique, but I don't believe that's true. In Mike, Michael Emerson's book, Divided by Faith, he is a researcher scholar and through extensive research, he found that white Christians in America who go to church are more likely than white non-Christians to hold beliefs that economic gaps between individuals, especially when it comes to economic racial gaps that we have in America, are a result of individual behavior and choices of individual makes instead of policies in America. So basically the belief in the narrative that gets passed on in our churches is that anyone, anybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps if they want to and not be poor. And therefore the idea is that people are poor because of their choices. But Jesus begins by elevating the poor, honoring the poor, saying God's favor is on the poor because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking this as a son of a poor carpenter from the wrong part of town. So here is Jesus, he's poor, and he's elevating the marginalized poor. And so we have to ask ourselves, why doesn't the church in America who else does Jesus say is flourishing? He says another unlikely group, those who mourn. Those who grieve from their experiences of trauma, injustice, and tragedy. Those who mourn and reach out to others in their grief and show compassion when those people are also experiencing injustice, evil, and loss. Those who suffer and still can show love to those who are suffering, those are the people that flourish. Again, this is not how the world here works and often not how the church does. And yet we know that it is the suffering that makes us long for God's own heart, his kingdom to come, that this world would be made new our suffering, it causes us to long desperately for what God longs for, God's kingdom reign of grace and justice and love. And while we long for that complete reign to come, God is with us and comforts us in our mourning. There's this great quote by Brene Brown, a very well-known researcher and author, and she writes about her own experience of going back to church. She said, I went back to church thinking that it would be like an epidural, that it would take the pain away. So those of you who maybe don't know what an epidural is, an epidural is the long needle that a woman in labor will ask for to put, um, get a shot in her back put in um, because labor will continue to happen, but you don't feel the pain. In my experience, it was a glorious thing to happen. And so that's what uh, Brene Brown was looking for. 
She was looking for church to just take all the pain away. She said, but faith in church was not an epidural, but it was a midwife who just stood next to me saying, push. It's supposed to hurt a little bit. She said, it was a completely new experience going back to church for me. I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and discomfort. But what it ended up saying is, I'll sit with you in it. I think many of us are looking for God and our faith and our church to take away our pain. And we're disappointed when it doesn't. But that isn't what God promises. That isn't how even he promises flourishing to happen. Instead, it is that he is with us and that others are with us, mourning and grieving the pain. That is what the kingdom of God is like. That's what Jesus is like. We suffer, but in the suffering, we long for something more, for wholeness and shalom. And in our longing, Jesus is with us. He is grieving too for our pain and the harm that we've experienced in the brokenness of this world. There are a lot of people that are mourning, that are suffering and grieving, and they are like the kingdom of God. They are like Jesus. And if you ever wonder where is Jesus, he is sitting with us in our grief, not going anywhere. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we need to be able to grieve and to mourn and to sit with those who mourn too. So next week, we're going to look, continue looking at this list that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at a, a few of the lists of people who are humble, the poor, and those who mourn. Um, next week, we'll look at the meek and then also those who work for justice. And then the following week, those who work for peace. But right now, I want to leave you with one last image. I began thinking about imagining a flower flourishing, right? And when I imagine that flower, I imagine it in a field, right? Beautiful field filled with green grass and, you know, sunny skies. But after I read this list, I imagined another flower. A flower that isn't what, it doesn't have exactly the perfect environment, the easiest environment to thrive, yet um, it's able to grow and to flourish. A flower that is breaking through the crack of the cement and shining. Now imagine that is you. In your life now, can you flourish in your not-so-perfect environment? Now imagine that's the kingdom of God, breaking through the darkness and reigning here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.